White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 750. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. From the Palatial White Rocket Studios, located in a maintenance closet in the basement of Earth Dome... It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Andy, how are you tonight? I'm doing fine, Van. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. I am your host, Van Allen Plexico. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Andy Fix. Andy, um, we got relocated to a maintenance closet, but we, we got the power back on. We got the fusion reactor. We got the fusion reactor running. So we're good to go tonight, and we have a big episode to talk about. We do. Now, was it your fault that the, uh, <laughs> that the Earth defense grid pointed the wrong way? As a mi- minor slip up, no real damage done. It was all good. It's all good. We we corrected that little glitch. I mean, you know, they, they said they wanted orbital gun platforms that could fire big energy beams. They didn't say which direction to point them. Come on, I can't can't read their minds, you know. So yeah, these it things happen. Be a little bit more specific. A little more specific. Yeah, you know. So. But uh, no, we've got a big one to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about episode 420 in game, and um, I have <laughs> I've got some news, and I just thought of something else to add to the news. So I'm right here. I'm calling an audible just as we get started. Um, I'm adding something. Right there we go. So um, we're going to talk about 400 and t- episode 420, season four, episode 20 in game, and tell me. That the first time you watch Babylon 5, the very first time you watch the series all the way through, when that title, because we didn't know when the story, when the Earth War storyline was going to end. For all we knew, it was going to carry over into season five, because we didn't really know for sure about season five, like like people look, in looking back do. You know, right. hindsight is fine, but we didn't know that, and so not necessarily, not all of us, and so you know, for all we knew, the Earth War could have ended like the sixth episode of season five. Or it could have ended the last episode of season four. But when it came up and said Endgame, I was like, oh, this is it. Did you not know? Just like when it said End of the Fire, I was like, oh, like right. Kosh said. Kosh said it. Yep. I was very, very excited. I was a little worried about whose Endgame would come out on top. Because yeah. in this series, you never know who is going to live and who is going to die. It's and true. we knew that you know season five was up, you know, up for grabs that we didn't know if it was going to come back or not. So who knew if, if earth would win or Babylon five would win. I mean, it was, it was wide open. Yeah, you're right. That, that this show challenges your assumptions all the way along. So there was no reason to think it would be any different this time. But fortunately Babylon five is not game of Thrones. In other words, it takes you to those places where you're not sure. And then it generally gives you what you want. Although sometimes there are bad things, consequences for some people and we certainly get that with Marcus and, and Ivanova this time 
And during the Shadow War, we got it with Sheridan with the 20-year lifespan, you know, among other things. So, yeah, JMS is very big on, he, he does give you the ultimate resolution you want, but usually at terrible cost. Right. Whereas George R.R. George Martin does not give you the outcome you want and at terrible cost. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a little bit of a different philosophical approach there. Right. Well, before we get into 420 Endgame, what kind of news items do you have for us this week? The only thing that I have that I can think of is that Major Otumbe got some love on the Babylon 5 Facebook group. I thought that was awesome. There was a thread... <laughs> Just talking about Major Atume, people speculating stuff about him, and, and I just loved it because, you know, he's our he's our, our favorite character yes. here on the show. So I thought that that was really cool to see people well, talking about it. Well, him fun. and Nagrath, it's pretty close between the two. Right, it is pretty close. Yeah, it, it's, it had gotten to the point that I was beginning to wonder if you and I hadn't just, like, had a collective hallucination and imagined that he ever even existed, right? I'm like, well, we talk right. about him, but where did I, I was like, where did that even come from? I can't even remember now. But didn't he come up in, like, the books or something or, like, the first season or something? Or He was in – they mentioned him a couple times in the first season. It was just, like, a throwaway line. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he was mentioned. And somebody posted a picture, a screenshot of – uh, somebody who they thought might be Major Atumbe in the background on the um, because it was like during a shift change or something like that, and he comes walking into <laughs> CNC. Yeah, and uh, they they thought is, you know they said is this Major Atumbe? That's I think that's what started the whole thread. So it was kind of uh, cool. Was, you know was, what I need? You know what I need though? I need the at, I guess fan fiction because it's too much to it's way too much to ask for something legit. But I need the fan fiction where we story where we find out that there was like this whole other shadow war with these other aliens, equally dangerous, and the night shift fought them. <laughs> and they were trying to keep it secret from the day shift. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but yeah, that's part of the story. I leave it to the writer. I'm a writer, but I'm not going to tackle this one. I've done, I've done my alternate universe Babylon 5 story but called Dark Crusade. But, but yeah, I, uh, I want to find out that Major Tumbe led the way in defeating some alien armada that attacked the station. It took about two seasons for it all to play out, but always during the night shift. That would be the greatest thing ever. And, and like, Sheridan never even knew. He just, like, it came in on the status reports, and he's just kind of like, mm-hmm, yeah, check, okay, good, yeah. thank you, Major. Never, like, follows up on it. And, and the Pac would be taking the place of the Minbari. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. <laughs> they would have their own fleet of dark stars. I like it. Oh, we, we this, just gets, this. this just gets better and better. I love it. Yeah, this <laughs> needs to happen. Somebody needs to do this. That would just be great. Um, well, I guess I'll quickly give a Dragon Con report because I always mention Dragon Con a lot, but this time I actually have a legitimate excuse to, which is that Dragon Con was, as we record this on a Thursday night, Dragon Con was last Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And by Wednesday, I really mean the day that folks, a lot of people arrive, because things get going on Thursday, and it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Really, five days. It's ridiculous how long it's gotten now, but it, that, but that's fine. I, it, I'd, I'd be it, happy. It doesn't, to... it doesn't stop. It's not like there's a, a downtime that entire time. There's times when people fall asleep. Yes. But the party goes on all weekend long. It goes on the whole time, right. And then it goes over to Facebook for the entire year until it Because every track, right. every track has a Facebook group with thousands of people on it. And it yeah. carries on there until time to actually physically get back together again. In fact, you know, Andy, it's funny. I was thinking that DragonCon is one of the few things that Facebook hasn't 
ruined in terms of meeting face to face. Because right. class reunions just quit happening because of Facebook, largely. Yeah. Um, but 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 Dragon Con like only gets bigger with with right. Facebook because people talk about what they're going to do there. You know. I had I I would say easily a dozen of my friends were at Dragon Con this year, and I yeah. it, I, I saw it. And they posted pictures constantly, so it was like almost like I was there. Yeah, <laughs> it was crazy. Oh, yeah. Well, you have a standing invitation. You actually had a badge with your name on it this year because just in case oh. I I had requested it, and you had a right. whole half of a table for free yeah. that you could have sold your books and stuff. So you had a shot there. But I understand it's hard to get away, especially for that long. Right. I understand. I really do. But you've Next got year. it. Yeah. So I hope so. So. uh all right. Well, the the, ba- the Babylon Five related stuff was a couple of things. There, we did have a panel on the military sci-fi media track, which is the track that handles Babylon Five, Farscape, Stargate, you know, Space nineteen ninety nine, all that kind of stuff. Right. And they're great. They're the they're the best folks. I love them. And um, and um, there was a panel on the on the animated movie. It was supposed to be John Hudgens, the video Babylon Five videos guy, and me. We do panels on every year. And, like, um, the moderator is the track director, Karen. And then I think there were a couple other people. But John was un- unable to come. I never did find out what happened, but he apparently he was in, you know, indisposed, couldn't come. And so when the panel kicked off, uh, the, the moderator, the director, Karen, says, so we're going to lean here for, uh, for information on our expert. And she looked at me, and I kind of double-take, did a double-take and looked around like, <laughs> wait, where's John? And she's like, John's not here. It's all you. And I'm like, oh, Lord, <laughs> it's, just, it's all on me. So I did the best I could. But, but Andy, by the way, while I'm talking about it, several people, several people over the course of the weekend came up to me and said, love the podcast and say hey to Andy. That's awesome. They the always said, and say hey to Andy. That's wonderful. Thank you, guys. That, that makes my day. I love hearing that. So that was really awesome. So we talked about the animated movie, and there are a couple of guys in the front row that were funny that asked some questions about the stuff you did. They had listened to the podcast, and they're like, they're, they're basically like, we're here to confuse you even more than Andy did about it, you know? So, and they did. I said, I said, guys, I watched, I actually turned on the movie, the animated movie, and watched it for the second time while I was packing to leave for the airport on Wednesday. And I said, at the end of it, I was not any less confused than I was after the first time. <laughs> so I kind of get it, and yet I'm like, you know, I still don't completely get it. So I'm not ashamed you to know, admit that. We should, our Patreon watch-along, where we get all the, the patrons to watch a, a show with us, we should have it be the road home so we can all explain to you at once while we're watching <laughs> it together what's going on. <laughs> That's fair if I have to watch it a third time. <laughs> I did pay for it, so I guess I might as well keep watching it. Um, right. <laughs> what was the episode we were actually talking about doing that, though? There was one we said we were going to do, but I can't remember which one it was. It oh. wasn't Endgame, was it? Or was it? I hope we hadn't just messed up. I hope no. we didn't mess up. If it was, we'll do a different no. one. It'll be fine. I, I want to say it's the, the, the deconstruction. final episode. Yeah. Deconstruction of Fallen Deconstruction. Star. Okay. Either well, that some... or the, the Legend of the Rangers. No. <laughs> no, God, no. Please. No. Come on. We'll do MST3K. Um, right. <laughs> I'm up for whatever. I'm, I would be happy to do Deconstruction of Fallen Stars. That's that's yeah, fine. That would, um, be, that would be Or Or even In the Beginning or something. I mean, I don't yeah. know. Because we're, we we're going to hit those before we do Season 5, right? We're doing them all in chronological order so that they came out. So we're going to hit... Right. We'll hit In the Beginning and Third Space before... 
Yeah, there's really only two places you can watch Third Space. Either like 407A right. or 501A right. or 422B. You know what I mean? Somewhere in the middle. Yeah. So we'll yeah. do it in the middle there. So That works. Um, oh, two other things came up there that I thought were funny. One was there was the Delenn that's there a lot. There's a young lady that dresses like Delenn every year on that panel. I mean, yeah. on that, in that track. And... And I said something like, you're not Dragon Con Delin, are you? And she said, I'm a Dragon Con Delin. <laughs> <laughs> so take that. That's another mysterious, enigmatic response from the Minbari right. ambassador there. Take that, for, take that for whatever it's worth. And then the other funny thing was, when I was talking about our podcast on the panel as we were getting started, I said, you may, because several people said they, they listened to our show, and I said, you may have noticed we've been on season four for like a year and a half now. I said, we're, we're taking our sweet time getting through this, this season. We're going we're gonna to drag this season out as long as we can because it's so good. Season four, come on, you know. Right. And I got to thinking about it. I'm like, we've put about as much time into season four as we did like one and two together probably. Right. Well, all of season one, we were doing like two and three episodes yeah. per that's podcast. it. That's it. So. That's exactly it. If, if we yeah. had gone one episode per from the beginning – We'd be in se- we'd be like the beginning of season three right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah, probably a good idea. In season four, was it season three or season four where we actually took two episodes or two podcasts for just one episode? Yeah. We would do we would do the episode and we'd do the reaction well, podcast we, after that. We did two podcasts for Zaha Doom, I believe. Yes, yes. And we did two for Into the Fire, I think. Yeah. In yep, season yep, four. Yep. I think those are the two that we've done, the, uh, which are two five-star episodes on my book, at least. Um, so that makes right. sense. And, of course, I'm very anxious to hear how you end up rating Endgame because this is another one of those really big ones. This will be fun. Um, so, yeah, though, that's my news. It was really just a DragonCon report for DragonCon 2023. Cool. All right. So, uh, with, I guess without further ado, let's go ahead and, and get into 420 Endgame. The, uh, let's see. This is production number 420. We The numbers haven't really varied like they did in the first couple of seasons. This has been pretty linear, um, as opposed to linear. Uh, this The original air week was October 13th, 1997. <clears throat> of course, written by JMS. This is very interesting, Andy. This episode was directed by John Copeland. Yes. One of the I producers. that was very cool. Yeah, th- and this was his first, his first ever direction of anything do you put somebody who's never directed anything in charge of endgame well there's a reason for that did you did you run across that at all i ran across the, the reason why no when they were directing or when they were filming the episodes the producer on set for all the dramatic scenes was jms and the producer on set for all the action scenes was john copeland he was the action guy he knew how to block an action scene he knew how to you know, had all these great ideas for the directors, you know, how to do action. So when JMS came up and saw that this particular episode was all action from beginning to end, he That's wanted the, the action guy. And, and because Copeland had done such a great job producing all the action scenes for the series over the, the several seasons, he thought he'd be the perfect guy for it. So he asked him if he wanted to do it, and he said he would give it a shot. And I think he did a spectacular job. I would say he did a better job than JMS does in his directing debut. But we'll get to that one actually right. sooner than people realize. Right. 
I mentioned to somebody at DragonCon, I said, Andy has a plan. Much like the much like the Cylons in the new Battlestar Galactica, he has a plan. I don't know if it's going to work out, but we'll see. But he has a plan, like the like the Cylon did. But he he, he has a plan. And I told him, so we'll see what happens. Um, we'll we'll talk about that when the time comes, I guess. Right. Um. Okay. So the P five rating. Oh, this is always fun. Yes. So again, to explain quickly to to new listeners, when the so episode. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. You you explain. You're better at explaining things. I don't know. When the episodes originally aired, people went to the Lurker's Guide website and they voted 0 to 10 what they, I guess with fractions, because it has two decimal points, uh, how much they rated the episode between 0 and 10. And it's called the P5 rating, which makes no sense because it's between 0 and 10. Our rating should be the P5 rating. Right. Um, And every week I get Andy to try to guess what that episode's P5 rating was. And you developed a system where you do what? Well, I take what I think our rating is going to be, and then I like add, well, I double it, of course, because you know it's out of ten instead of out of five. Yeah. And then I add like half a point yep. or a point, depending on how big I think the episode was. Yep. Last week it kind of bit me in the butt because I didn't have to add anything; I would have been spot on. That's right. <laughs> to the decimal point. Yeah. That's exactly right. Is it last time it came out exactly what you kind of started out with, and right. the the reason that you add it, by the way, to make this clear, is that we we kind of figured out that people seeing it the first time tend to react a little bigger to it than than when we've seen it for two, three, four, five, ten, fifteen times. So, right, our ratings tend to go down. We discovered compared to the beginning. Yeah, so that makes right. sense. All right. So without further ado, how do you suppose people rated Endgame? In the P5 rating. I'm going to say they gave it a 9.6. We must, there must be something happening starting last week because it's not Uh-oh. that high. But okay. it is high. It's one of the few that's over 9. There's not a lot that are over 9. Right. It is 9.27. Well, I, was, I was originally going to say 9.3. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. Not extra point three. That's funny. Yep. Wow. I wonder why the earlier episodes you had to bump it up a half a notch, and now you really don't. I wonder what that's all about. That's interesting, though. It is interesting. I don't know. There's something maybe, there, maybe but... They, maybe they just don't like season four. <laughs> hmm. hmm. I don't think that's true. I don't think mm. I, I don't think there's anybody that doesn't like season four. Well, except for that one guy last week. I forget his name. He, 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 <laughs> you were reading off the, the, the P5 names of the people oh. who rated it and one guy gave it like a 4.5 and we were both like wait what oh, <laughs> that's right yeah <laughs> you know what though i think maybe i have a i have something that could be an answer i don't know if it's the answer i think maybe it could be the answer that that we like these episodes more accurately to how they were liked back then than we liked the ones earlier like the the middling episodes we right. have to add points for it's the first time we've seen it, that gotcha. they've seen it. You don't right. have to add points for these because they carry it anyway. You know what they're, I'm saying? Does right. that kind of make so, sense? Yeah, yeah I yep, think it makes absolutely. sense. That could they're be. They're still that darn good, yes. Yeah, they're still that darn good. That's exactly the way to put it. All right, do you want to do the summary? Uh, sure, I can do the summary. So in this episode, uh, Sheridan and his fleet uh, take the fight to Mars while Garibaldi and Lita and uh, Franklin are doing their part from the surface of Mars. Mm-hmm. And um, Marcus researches medical uh, medical methods for trying to save Susan. 
And that's one of my factoids, but I'll go ahead and say it since you said that. Yeah. There was a lot more of this episode that was Marcus and Ivanova than I remembered. Right. Well, yeah, remember last last time we we were speculating why didn't they mention anything about, you know, how did he find this device and why, you know, why didn't they show Stephen talking about it or whatever? Yeah. They answered all those questions in this episode. I mean, he researched, you know, it was something that um, Lanier said that got him to start researching. And then he did the research. Right. Somehow somehow got through all the jammers that prevented communication to access all the medical files from Babylon 5. That comes up in, in the notes in just a second, yeah. Oh, good. I want to hear that. Well, here's my question, though. That all is very convenient, but it still doesn't answer how they were able to use it to save Garibaldi. Why couldn't they use it to save Susan? Right. Now, all right. Well, I t- all right. They did touch on the idea that she was maybe like right on the verge of death, and it would actually right. have to kill somebody to save her. Like right. in other words, you didn't have to kill Franklin or Sheridan or whoever to save Garibaldi. He was bad off, but he wasn't like on death's doorstep that very moment like Susan was. So, right. I mean, if you if you're looking for kind of like a, I don't want to say an excuse, but a a trap door to justify a plot device. And, and I mean, let's be fair. A lot of the stuff that JMS does is just plot devices and they're cool. I mean, I understand why he does them. I do. I understand why he does them and that's fine, but he kind of has to sometimes bend the rules right. of the story a little bit to make them work. And we've talked about these in specific instances over and over and over. So, right. Let me just apologize for my voice, by the way, I, I lost my voice in Atlanta and then I've been back teaching all week and doing podcasts all week trying to catch up. So my voice is pretty rough tonight. Uh, it sounds like I've been at a football game. Um, notable guest stars this episode include Marjorie Monahan as the redoubtable number one. David Purdom as Captain James, who I believe was like Sheridan's instructor at the Academy or some such. Yeah, right? he was the head of the, uh, the Earth Force fleet. Yeah. Uh, J. Patrick McCormick as General Leftcourt. Oh no, no! Captain James yeah. is is his buddy on the on the Agamemnon. Right, right. Leftcourt was the guy that was in charge of the the, the fleet. Earth Force ranks are yeah, I know. they make <laughs> I no sense at all. Say. They make no yeah, sense. Yeah, he was talking to the the one guy. You, you're you've done a fine job as captain. You'll make a good general one of these days. I'm like, what? That doesn't make any <laughs> sense at all. It does. They just like it's like JMS took the army ranks and the navy ranks and kind of like put them in the blender. <laughs> So there's no, because I had to do a lot of research on this for the for the uh, military SF novel I've been working on for the last <coughs> 16 years, and um, <laughs> army and navy ranks are exactly the same. They just have different names for some of the ranks, but other like the right. little emblems are the same. There's the same number of them. They just have different names. And what 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 Earth Alliance military does, the Earth Force does, is like take some from column A and some from column B and combine them. Right. It doesn't make any sense. Not at all. But if if you go by the Navy rank, though, for captain, that's basically colonel. Right. So it would kind of make sense that you would go from captain to general. But you don't go from captain to general. You go from captain to admiral. Right. And here's the real twist, by the way. Most naval captains of ships aren't actually captains. They're commanders. There's Yeah. There's commanders or lower who serve as the captain of the ship, but that's not the same thing as carrying the rank of captain on your insignia, right? right. It's there, so there weird. Are, there are some captains in the Navy who don't command a ship. Right, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's so strange. But anyway, I kind of had to learn all that working on this book and that I'm never going to finish. All right. Uh, and, and then Carolyn Seymour as Senator Crosby, I assume the lady at the end that comes in and right. finds the – doesn't seem bothered in the least about a dead body with a PPG hole in his head. Right. And I just got to say, by the way, a PPG hitting you in the head didn't seem to do a whole lot of damage to uh, old Clarky. It I, I don't understand how PPGs work in, in Batman yeah. 5. Because they say it, it can't damage – the whole infrastructure. Yeah. Yet they blew down that that eight inch thick door, steel door <laughs> with it. I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I would have thought half his head would have been melted off, and the other half right. would be on fire instead of just like a little hole in his temple. He had like a little hole in yeah. his temple. Whatever. Okay. Anyway, I, this is all stuff that JMS is like. Look, I'm just telling a good story here. People deal with it. Right. It's not going to drop at a star or anything like that. Underneath. No. All right. <laughs> I only have a couple of random factoids and notes this week, actually, and I've already talked about one of them, so I've only got one left. Do you have Before we go ahead and get into the... Uh, but I do have quite a bit of JMS, so what have you got in terms of random factoids and notes? The only thing that I really have is uh, uh, some stuff that Copeland said when he was talking about directing this. Uh, he said that the scene where the uh, telepaths were um, attaching themselves to the, the Earth Force ships... He said a lot of the ideas for that scene, for those different shots of those different telepaths coming out, um, he got from horror movies. Oh. Like, particularly Dracula. Like, when the the um, cryo units opening up, a lot of them open up kind of like a coffin from Dracula. and the, Yeah. You know, just the, the different angles that they're shooting it at and stuff like that. And I thought that was really cool. I thought that was a, kind of a neat a neat approach to that scene because it was it didn't it did seem creepy. Especially there's the one the the blonde girl. When yeah. She's when she's backlit by the blue and all that. I believe she's on the cover of the uh, the guy. Yeah, I thought about that. The guidebook. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So good. That was a really creepy scene because her eyes were really wide and the blue kind of made her look you know like she had you know dead skin and stuff like that. So that was. I thought that was cool, and then the action scenes on board the bridge during mm-hmm. the during the combat. For he mentioned that they, of course, only had the one set that they had to switch between the two forces, and he said he shot yeah. the Earth Force ones differently from shooting the uh, the Agamemnon. Agamemnon. Uh, he said specifically that the the Aggie he took a lot of cues from the Hunt for Red October. Oh wow! You know how the screens were around and stuff like that. And um, he thought it was he had he wanted to do something different with the ships taking damage because you know you normally do like in Star Trek where you shake the camera and you drop the styrofoam beam from the ceiling or something yeah like that, or exactly spark shoot spark shoot from one the of the consoles or something yeah so at, when the Agamemnon was getting blown all to crap he did some really cool stuff I don't know if you noticed at one point in time a girder came up through the floor whoa. Show, and he he said he wanted to do that to show that it was just getting hammered from all sides, and I thought that was really cool and very effective. There were a couple of things they did that I thought were noteworthy as well. Um, I want to re- I want to I want to mention that in a second, but I want to revisit the telepath for just a second. There was one scene where like a telepath was in silhouette or in shadow, shambling around like a zombie. Yeah. So not only did they have the vampire, but they also had kind of the zombie thing going with them. They really yep. did. I mean, I agree with you that they really did do, and Copeland, I guess, did a really good job of kind of like using this very sci-fi concept, but 
but staging it and presenting it in a very classical horror way to give you because you take your cues you're like oh that's like a zombie that's like a vampire and you're going oh even if it's like a you know and the other thing that was neat about that was they got a lot of mileage out of just shining some flashing lights on their faces. I, I mean, right. when it happens, you're like, oh, gosh, because you don't know, you're gonna, are you, is it going to pull back? Are we going to see more? Is there going to be wiring? Is it going to be like the, the Borg or something? You know, And they didn't. They just showed the actor's face with yeah. some yellow, blue, red lights flashing on it and them kind of going, you know, making a significant expression, and they cut to something else. And I'm sitting yeah. here thinking... In my mind, that was an incredible special effects shot, and it was just an actor with some lights shining on their face. Exactly. That's it's, pretty it's good. Another example of Babylon 5 doing more with less. More with less, yeah. yeah. Now, as for the uh, the Earth Alliance destroyers, and by the way, we, we'll talk in a minute about that scene with all those destroyers moving independently in one shot. Those poor video toasters were probably about to overheat and burn the toast on that shot. I was like, holy cow. Right. But... Um, one thing I liked was we tend to kind of think that all spaceships are laid out the same way and that the forward section of the Earth Alliance destroyers are the bridge, but they're not. They're the hangar. That's right. that sort of boxy that sort of boxy piece at the very front is a is a hangar. It's yeah. not a bridge because they have gravity. So the right. bridge is on that spinning middle section that goes around. And so when the Agamemnon suffered damage toward the end and that front part was, was on fire and smoking, I was like, that's all well and good, but that's not where, you know, if it got hit there, that's fine, but there better be a hit on the rotating section because that's where they were when they got hit, you know what I mean? And there right. was. When it yeah. rotated up into view, there's like a glowing hole Right there on that rotating part, and I was like, "There you go." They, they, that's one of those things. And I, I, newer viewers, younger viewers, y'all, listen to me, please. Today, that's guaranteed that they'll think of it, right? If you talk about the Expanse or Foundation or whatever show today, one hundred percent that would be there. But shows produced before Babylon Five. There was, am I lying, Andy? There was a better than average chance they would not have even thought of doing that. Absolutely. And most of the time, they didn't even show any actual damage on the ship itself. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the Starship Enterprise just get knocked around like crazy. And very, very few times did you see a, a, a scorch mark or anything on the, the Enterprise. Oh, remember how, what a revelation it was when we saw Star Trek II in the theater and they burned holes down the side of the lower cylinder, the main hull. Yeah, yeah. I remember in the theater going, holy crap, they're like chewing a hole in the side of the thing. I'd never seen that before. We certainly didn't see that in the even not even in the first motion picture. Right. With V'ger and everything. The Impri- Enterprise came out the other side of V'ger, not a scratch on it. Right. But yet in yeah. Star Trek 2, they blew the crap out of it, and that's pretty much where it starts, and I just, I was really impressed back in the 90s that they re- remember. All right, my most favorite example of this was after Severed Dreams, they kept the Membari ships around Babylon Five. Again, from today's perspective, you're like, of course they did because they're there. In 1996, 1997, it was not a given at all that they would remember or even care to put those ships there. That was that episode. That isn't this episode. <laughs> yep. You know. And- uh, you you got to understand that 
a lot of the the TV shows, a lot of the sci-fi TV shows back then, only had one model for the main yeah. ship. You know, yeah. so they couldn't go scorching it up or trashing it every time it got into a, a battle because then they'd have to you know shoot the next three episodes budgets yeah. to build a new model. So unless I mean, I mean, unless it was Space 1999, right? <laughs> oh, they blew up two or three eagles every episode on there, man. <laughs> They'll make true. more. I always say, crash all you want. They'll make more. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. They, they were never going to, like, blow up the Battlestar Galactica from 78. They were never going to blow right. up the original Enterprise. They couldn't. Right. Right. Exactly. That's so good. So, yeah. And, and they even they showed, in, uh, to, to what you were saying earlier, before Sheridan was, you know, knocked around there in the bridge, they actually showed a, a missile impacting that section of the ship, the side yes. of the ship. It wasn't the yeah. front of the ship that the missile hit. It was the side. Yeah. Absolutely. No, that was really good. Uh, I was impressed with the um, with Earth defenses. You know they put them there because of the, of the Earth-Mimbari War. Right. I mean, that's why they're there. That's 100% why they're there is because Earth was going to be wiped out by the Mimbari in 2248, I guess. And so 10 years after the Earth-Mimbari War in 2258, so 2248. Right. And so uh, they wanted a weapon system that could defend them this time. I'm not convinced that the Earth's defense platform system would have saved us from the Minbari again if they had come. Probably not. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty formidable. Right. But... It did take a pretty massive fleet, including a lot of White Stars. Yeah, to take it out. To take it out, right. And what they didn't show was that was orbiting the entire planet. That's why the Agamemnon was the only one that could reach that particular... Yeah defense platform because i mean when it's covering the entire planet you know you're not going to be in sight of another ship while you're taking those things out so yeah. yeah there's there's a giant there's a there's a point about that in the notes that somebody asked how is they like there were two or three ships on the screen with them in the previous scene where did they go you know <laughs> but and, you, you just go with it and in this one again the white stars were barely bigger than the mm. the uh the uh um star furies yeah, there was there were several scenes of the White Stars flying around with a couple Star Furies right next to it, and they were almost the, the same size as the White Stars. I've seen these size charts that have a White Star like the size of the Enterprise. I'm like, no, right, they ain't that big at all. They do have a really big hallway leading to the bridge, as we've determined. Right. <laughs> I, that thing's like the TARDIS. That's all I can think right. of. Exactly. They're, it's using that, that Minbari and, and Vorlon technology to warp space inside of it. Yeah, because there's just nowhere on a White Star that's big enough on the outside to have that on the inside. There's just not. Right. It's just right. impossible. Anyway, um, the only factoid I had or note was that we should just pause and take a moment to reflect on the fact that the big storyline that really got started at the end of season one with the assassination of President Santiago is finally resolved. This is a plot we've been following year after year all the way through season two, all the way through three, all the way through four, almost to the very end of four. And of course we get the sort of the denouement next week. So next episode. So what an accomplishment, right? I mean, that absolutely the shadow war, not even withstanding just right. the assassination of the president by the vice president. And then all the way back to bringing him justice. We have come home. I mean, that that's just incredible that they were able to pull that off. Absolutely. It was, it was fantastic. I do wish it could have happened in season five, but it is what it is. 
It is what it is. All right. We have some unanswered questions, and I'll kind of, excuse me, I'll kind of zip through these. If you have any answers, do share them. Otherwise, we'll just leave them out there for the listeners and the patrons. What happened to the telepaths that were on the destroyers? That's a good question. I'm assuming, because Franklin said that they had the technology, the technology they needed to separate the telepaths from the, the shadow technology was on Earth. He on Earth. He specifically said that, yeah. So he said, we have to use them to get through mm-hmm. Clark's forces to get them the help they needed. So they're basically fighting for their own lives. So I'm assuming if they survived, because a lot of those telepaths were probably killed by the Earth Force people that were trying to take control of their ships back. So I, I don't know how many of them survived. And I'm hoping that those ones, those that did survive were somehow uh, taken to Earth and, and cured. But I don't think they all survived. And, of course, one unanswered question is, was Bester's lover, Carolyn, one of them? That's a good question. We'll leave that one hanging. We may or may not get an answer to that, but I'm not going to spoil it. Right. Um, but, yeah, the last time we saw the telepaths and the last time we saw those destroyers was them kind of floating upside down and sideways <laughs> and tumbling around. Right. Like, like the Discovery in 2010, um, way out around, I guess, Mars or whatever, right? So um, Correct, yeah. So presumably somebody got in contact with them and said, the war's over, Clark's dead, we're no longer trying to kill Sheridan. Right. So at that point, would Lita then send the, the, the message to all the telepaths to put them back to sleep? I mean, is that even possible? Once, you, once those packages are open, can't she put them back in the box? you got to think that she would at least try. Yeah. I think so. I'd like to think you know, she succeeded too, but I don't know. Yeah, at, at least one of the telepaths was killed. The one on board the Apollo was killed because they they took back control of that ship, and he even said that the problem has been, That's been right. secured or something like that. That may have been the one where the people are firing the PPG rifles at something. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, what was meant by the ascension of the ordinary man, which is what Clark wrote over and over and over before circling scorched Earth? I don't know. Is that a thing that phrase i i don't know i mean we have to wonder did was clark kind of like a richard nixon character that was an ordinary man that scratched and clawed his way up to the top and then murdered one last person to seize absolute power and that was his ascension even though you know does he you know because nixon always thought of himself as just a regular guy that had kind of overcome all this all these obstacles and everything and Clark kind of struck me as similar. Clark was never like an aristocratic-seeming guy. He always seemed like a regular Joe that just kind of, you know, put himself in the right place at the right time to uh, seize power. That's kinda, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. It was interesting. There's, there's I, I a, wonder if it had anything to do with, with the ascension to telepathy or something like that. Mm, yeah, I don't know. They Well, he wasn't a telepath, so that's part of, that could be part of it, too. There's a little right. bit more about that coming up in the analysis, so I'll hold on for now. Um, did Clark have a vice president? And if so, what became of them? Question. Now, you know, the first hundred and something years of the United States, if the president died and the vice president became president, we didn't have a vice president. That's true. We didn't really add it until the 20th century. I'm trying to think who the first president was that had a replacement vice president. Um, it was before, well, let's see, when Kennedy, when Kennedy was killed, which is relevant to this show because JFK's assassination is a big part of this show, obviously. Right. When Kennedy was killed, um, Lyndon Johnson became president, 
and I'm pretty sure he made Hubert Humphrey vice president. So they had it then. What, what he, about um, Truman? Yeah, when, when Truman, Truman became president, I don't know who his vice president was if he had one. I mean, he would have had one after 48. Right. After but I don't know from 45 to 48. I'll look that up. I'll have to look that one up. Anyway, interesting. I, well, it didn't seem like Clark's vice president was going to have much, if anything, to do. He may have been hauling it for, like, Orion or right. Orion 7 or something, you know? <laughs> They're forgotten anyway, so he might as well go hide there. I mean, seriously, if, if you're Clark's vice president and Clark shoots himself and John Sheridan's arriving, I, I would head for the subway station, you know, the train station right. in a hurry. Absolutely. Wearing a dress and makeup. <laughs> like, like Thomas Jefferson. I'd be out of or I mean, uh, Jefferson Davis. Yeah, I'd be out of there in a hurry. Uh, all right. JMS speaks. Let's get your reaction to some of this. Several people said to JMS, apparently at the time, this episode seemed rushed. Did this episode seem rushed to you? It did. Okay. That, that's, yeah, that's, the pacing was, was uh, frenetic. I mean, it was... It, it, there, there wasn't really much slowdown until the it's, very end with that, that last scene. It's interesting to hear you say that and to hear other people say that because my reaction is it depends on how you interpret Marcus's scenes. In, in other words, to me, if you include Marcus's scenes in the fast pacing, then it was a very fast-paced, rushing episode. Right. But to me, a lot of Marcus's episodes were just him kind of silently brooding and thinking and to me, that really slowed things down a lot. I didn't see that as him going, what am I going to do, what am I going to do, what am I going to do? I saw that as Marcus is sitting there, breathing slowly, staring intently into nothingness, into, this, into space, thinking. And that was like putting the brakes on the episode for me. I'm not saying it was bad at all. I'm just saying, I, to me, that slowed the episode down and kept it from seeming right. rushed to me. Right. I, and, I, I can see that. But I think that Marcus's whole uh, story arc there felt very rushed because he got so much done so quickly. Mm-hmm. No, that's true. And again, I think a lot of that just goes back to JMS wanting to kind of cram it all into one episode and he Oh, yeah, absolutely. He, yeah. He kind of cheated this probably would have, Right. This probably would have been a two episode uh story. Yeah. Yeah, I think had, so. You know, if it had gone the the route that it, it should have gone. Or if you added from the darkness to the light into it, it would have been like a three-parter, kind of like the the, oh, the, sure. the the three-part that became Severed Dreams. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, JMS says, um, people are seeing Rush where in many cases there is not a Rush. Look, pay attention here. We're in the fourth act of the Earth cycle. Like the fourth act of an episode, you have to really start cranking. You want it to be at a white heat once you hit the ground. Right. Um, most of what's uh, what's in Endgame and most of what was in the last episode was always going to be there with or without a fifth season. I made my trims in the period prior to these episodes for the most part. This is the culmination of something we've been building now for three years and I'm going to make it as damn fast-paced as I can. So don't go into this assuming it was rushed. It's fast and that's the difference here. People complain when we do character stories the arc isn't moving fast enough. People complain it's moving too fast when the arc is in full gear. Somebody get a consensus going here, okay? And then <laughs> somebody fair. asked it. Yeah, and somebody asked him, "How did you fit so much into one hour?" And he says, "I don't know if it's one of those things I can explain adequately or sensibly. A lot is just instinctive. I don't sit down and think about it. I just do it." And then he talks about how a lot of it is the intensity, the strong emotion stretches out time, extends time. Right. Um, oh, this is funny. So somebody changes the subject. Get this. 
So a question comes to JMS, what is Earth Standard Time? Is it Greenwich Mean Time? Here's his answer. Here's his answer. This is so great. His answer is yes, EST equals GMT. And this episode wasn't rushed. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't what they asked, but he's back to that again. Right. But he has a couple more things he ta- ta- he tosses in here on this answer. He says, it's what you do when you're bringing any story to its climax. It's like watching aliens going away before the last 20 minutes, coming back and saying, well, it moved awfully fast. <laughs> it, it has to. You're in the big moment. No, there isn't time for everything. There's never time for everything. There's always stuff we might want to see. But what's in Endgame is what was always going to be in Endgame. If I'd known there'd be a fifth season, I would have still written it exactly the way it was written. So there you go. There you go. So much for my speculation. Oh, yeah. Um, A hideous amount, this is JMS, a hideous amount of rendering power and time went into this episode. The result is all on the screen. The only bigger CGI fest is in the prequel, which is approximately 21% effects, most of it pure CGI and composites. When he says the prequel, does that mean in the beginning, I wonder? That's what I'm thinking of, yeah. Yeah. So even so, this one had even more uh, effect shots than Into the Fire or Severed Dreams. That's impressive. Um, there, was a, there was a lot going on. Like you said, there was one scene where there was close to a dozen Earth, Earth Force destroyers flying around in there, different directions. There might have been more than that. I, I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about, and there might have they they talk a lot about 18 of them, so it might have been 18 all on the screen at once, which is insane. Right. Well, there there was at least 30 of them because they didn't have enough. Yeah. Of the uh, the telepaths, they had 30 telepaths, and, they, and uh, one of them, one of the uh, the freedom fighters said, "Well, that's nearly the entire fleet." So yeah. They had they had more than 30. I think there were 18 maybe that got left behind at Mars that got over messed up or something was that there i I got 18 from somewhere and i don't remember exactly but that may have yeah um let's see somebody said the mars surface effects look different and he says most of the prior mars shots were done by an outside contractor uh ndei that would be i guess netter digital the new netter digital that did those boys wanted a chance to do them and they did so they're not bad he says we still need to improve a bit on the movement and the camera moves a bit too fast which gives it that computery feel but overall not bad somebody said how long did the shots take to render he says quite a lot i understand oh here's a very i I thought the mars shots the the external mars shots were really good i thought they were fine yeah, the the way that they kind of zoomed across the surface and mm-hmm. zoomed in on the the uh, um, freedom fighters, I thought that was really cool. And the guns and everything, the swivel guns yeah. and all. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I thought they were fine. I had no complaints at all. Just bearing in mind, they're going to look like 1997 on a video toaster. You know, I mean, they're not going to look right. like today, but they're for what they right. were. I thought they're great. Sure. Yeah. Um, listen to this, Andy. This is a good one. Has has Mars's air pressure been increased so pressure suits are no longer needed? Because you notice they were running around without pressure suits. Right. Just fur coats. And JMS says, My feeling is that there's been some small terraforming, which has helped a little, but there's still a long way to go. Right. And it's still it's still cold and they still need, you know, to breathe oxygen. But yeah, yeah they weren't wearing pressure suits. They were wearing parkas because it was so yep. cold. There was even one scene when Lita was outside where her hair, the top of her head was perfectly visible underneath her hood so yeah there yeah. must be some terraforming going on i just never thought of it just never occurred to me that they were doing that they just always talk about the domes and i just assume they've been building domes so that's interesting um 
Yeah, he says, one thing we've noted is that there's been some minor terraforming on Mars over the 175 or so years we've been there at this point. It's still a hostile climate, but not as bad as it is right now in real life. So that's right. that's interesting. That's something I didn't know. I'm glad to find that out. Well, now, Kim, Kim, yeah. Kim Stanley Robinson did an awesome trilogy about the terraforming of Mars, which was just phenomenal. I think it won Hugo Awards. I mean, it was just it was really, really good stuff. That would be Red Mars, Green Mars, and Blue Mars, right? Blue Mars, yep. Yep, absolutely fantastic series. All right. I haven't read that, but I've always known about it, and I didn't know if it was good or not. Okay. Thumbs up for me. I'll check it out. Of course, I've written an anthology that's going to be reissued next year called Blackthorn Thunder on Mars, where a post-apocalyptic terraform Mars is the place everything happens. Um, We'll talk about that later. Um, Let's see. Somebody, this is funny. Somebody said, shouldn't moving around the surface of Mars look odd due to lower gravity? Uh, or has the gravity been increased somehow? JMS says, no, there was no change to the gravity. What, what should we see to show the gravity was still less? Someone like Garibaldi is still going to weigh about 75 pounds, so he's not going to be floating around or bouncing. He's pretty solid. I don't see many 13-year-olds walking around like they're on the moon. Right. <laughs> um, so basically he's saying it would have looked stupid to have people bouncing around on Mars like right. they're... I mean, if you think about Space 1999, if you've ever watched Space 1999, when they go outside in their pressure suits and they ride around little moon buggies, they yeah. do that whole robot-y, slow-motion bouncing move, you know, right. which they're basically copying from the Apollo, you know, stuff, film. Right. And it looks awfully silly. <laughs> uh, yeah, he says, if we had spare time in the episode, ho-ho... Uh, you might have suggested the different ratio of internal mass to weight by having characters' feet skid out from under them when stopping, bouncing off walls while turning corners, etc. Um, and JMS says this would have looked awfully silly on camera. Right, and, and it's too much work. That these these guys were shooting these these episodes. I mean, John Copeland used to have a stopwatch where he would actually time how uh, how long each scene was taken, and and he would say out loud how much you know how many seconds they had left so Hmm. they were really on a very very tight schedule in fact when he was directing this episode all the cast and crew all brought out stopwatches at various times (laughs) and told john that he was going over oh that was a funny little story that's good that's good um oh and jms says remember that number one and garibaldi as well as lita have experience living on mars so they would have you know compensated and they wouldn't have looked all bouncing around goofy right uh, let's see. There's some talk about how did the ships not, the quartermasters on the ships not notice a telepath in a box coming in. And JMS basically says that's not how it works. They're checked on the way out. They're not checked on the way in or whatever. So whatever. Plus, you, he says you'd have somebody that's flipped over to your side at the point of shipping, which they did. They had that, right. that woman. Right. Um, how did Marcus contact B5 through the jammers? That's what I want to know. JMS says, because Marcus sent the signal to B-5 before the fleet jumped into hyperspace, leaving Mars toward Earth. We are in hyperspace for the result, the search being concluded based on what was downloaded. So hmm. that's kind of a complicated sentence but a sentence or two, but what I think he's saying is the location the ships were at the time that they sent messages relative to where the jammers are allowed it to happen when it did but not happen other times. Gotcha. So I would just, I don't want to parse that sentence anymore, honestly. I just say, okay, let's go with it. Just, right. if it sounds plausible to me, I'm going to go with it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I had a whole lot of, I had a whole lot of analysis in JMS GF, Speaks. Uh, why didn't Sheridan send another ship to chase after Marcus? And 
JMS says, you don't send a ship away to chase one person when you're going into battle. You don't know what ships you are and aren't going to need. In theory, you took everything you had because you thought you needed it. Yeah, Marcus was a friend, but a lot of friends would die this day. You think you would put Marcus's situation ahead of the fleet? Isolate one ship and risk it to go after him? Ever been in the military? You talk about it, but what you propose doesn't make sense. Would Patton have sent back a tank because somebody fell behind? No. Absolutely. So there is that. Yeah. And that's what, I mean, that, that was that whole scene when, when Sheridan was talking to the captain of the Aggie. I mean, the, the guy said, you know, we have seconds to make this decision. And, and Sheridan had to think, do I sacrifice Marcus or do I, you know, do I push everything off and go save Marcus? And he's like, nope, I got to save Earth. Can't do it. He yep. even said, I'm sorry, we can't. Was it Delenn right. or whoever he was talking to? I'm sorry, we can't do it. Yeah. Yep. Um, before I forget, this just occurred to me. When Marcus is looking through the medical records, we find out what happened to the singer. Remember? Mm-hmm. I'd forgotten she about died. that. Yeah, yeah, she died. Yeah. thought that was interesting. Yep. Uh, and sad. Garibaldi's betrayal didn't have any lasting consequences. I noticed that, too, that he's right, he's right back doing Garibaldi things like nothing happened this week, this episode. Right. I noticed that, too. What do you think about that? Um, I thought that was kind of quick. Yeah. You know, just just a, a, a couple episodes ago, there were, you know, uh, um, Ivanova was wanting to kill him, shoot on sight, and, you know, Franklin, you know, almost, you know, had to make a decision whether to shoot him or not, let, let him, and it, it came awfully quick that suddenly he's he's doing this. Now, that may be because they needed Garibaldi, you know, needed his yeah. his expertise and all that stuff, and they were, they were just using him as, you know, for the expediency of it all, but I'm sure there'll be repercussions down the line. Well, this episode was so nice in the way that we we got our old Garibaldi back and he was entertaining as we knew as we remembered. Right. Right. In fact, I'd almost forgotten how much I like him <laughs> when he's being himself because he'd been just a, such a jerk this entire season. Right. And he's back to being wacky and funny and, you know, tough guy and all and it was nice. It was like like a different show yeah, almost. It was yeah, it was it was like good old Garibaldi. So JMS says, you're right in terms of what Garibaldi did and didn't do. We've avoided the ultimate repercussions in other places for other things. And he goes, he said vaguely not wanting to post spoilers. But you can only do that so far. And if you go further, you start cheating. You also remove the dramatic impact of the actions your characters, if they, of your characters, they do not have consequences. So in other words, uh, it sounds like he's still planning at this point to have Garibaldi suffer consequences of his, of his actions. It's just not... They're too busy right now. Right, exactly. Um, oh, somebody said, why did Marcus have to do what he did? And I didn't think that was a great question because we know he loved Ivanova and he did it because he wanted to save her. But listen to what JMS says. JMS says, in this case, it ties very much into this character's background and would in another universe in which Claudia Christian decided to stay have spun out into some rather interesting developments. So we That's basically lost Marcus from the show because we lost Claudia. Right. He would have been in season. He, they would have revived him somehow. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Theoretically. That yeah, that would have been, I'm sure, Ivanova's whole story arc in season five would have been that. Well, I don't know. Well. <laughs> My understanding is Ivanova's story arc in season five was that she would have been the one in love with Byron instead of Lita. And I, mean, I just don't. I, and I, I don't see that. Sorry, spoiler. Um, yeah. But uh, 
I don't either. That, I don't either. That that's so not Ivanova. I mean, no. like at all. No, not at all. I don't know. Yeah, no. I, I, I'm. I've always said if that was what they had in store for Ivanova, then I'm glad Claudia left when she did. Right. And believe me, I don't say that lightly because you and I have made it very clear the esteem we hold her in. Absolutely. And yet, it's for her sake that I say, if that's what they were going to do with her, she was better off leaving the show. Right. I think. Um, I, I, I agree 100%. If, if they really would have gone through with that and if JMS had not said, wait a minute, maybe that's not such a good idea. Yeah. It, it, but I mean, I don't know. It sounds like he also had plans for Marcus, too, though. It does, and I don't know how that would have fit in. Maybe it would have, and I don't, I don't want to go too far into spoilers, and we can take this into spoiler space if we need to, but just yeah. to kind of round that thought out, it may have been that you'd have had a kind of a love triangle. Ooh, that would be, yeah, I can see that. Ivanova and two guys that were not worthy of her. Wow. And I say that knowing full well how Marcus felt about her and everything, but I never felt like she felt the same way about him. Yeah. No, well, well... Up until last episode, I would have agreed with you. Yeah. Remember when she, when you know, she said that I, I, I now know what you said in, in Minbari that one time, and then she said thank you. I think she was warming up to him a little bit. Yeah, maybe so. Just never saw them as together, though. It just never seemed like a... It seemed just, very forced at first. Yeah. I can see him being infatuated with her. I can't right. really see the two of them together. It'd just be too odd. Right. Oh, Which well. makes it kind of fun, though. Yeah, but then you get into the whole thing of is she just with him because he saved her life and she feels obligated. That's a good point, too. Yeah, that, would be, that would have been interesting to see. like, And somebody has to confront Susan with, you don't love him. You're just doing this because you feel like you owe it to him, and that's not fair to either of you, and blah, blah. Right. You know. right. That's, that yeah. I, I can see them going down that route. Interesting. The circles doodled message left by the le- by the man who commits suicide happens in Doctor Strangelove. Yes, it does. And I haven't seen Doctor Strangelove in about forty five years, so I don't right. remember. <laughs> but I saw it in like junior high or something. Um, JMS says just to clarify this: the note, the script as written, calls only for the finding of a note with the word "scorched earth" on it. It was John Copeland's idea to do the note as shown, and yes, he has said quite openly that it was his nod to Doctor Strangelove. Interesting. So all JMS wanted was that on there, "scorched earth." Same right. that put everything else. Right. Um, I thought I thought that was interesting how they how they did it. Well, and I thought it was interesting how when they when they referenced it later in the episode. They said that he had, they had found a note that said scorched earth. And I'm like, well, it didn't really say scorched earth. It was just that if you circled certain letters, it said that. So, right. so that just shows you how JMS said it should say scorched earth, but Copeland turned it into a, like a word find, which is not well, quite the same thing in my opinion. But he had circled it. She didn't circle those. Oh, I know. But it's still yeah. just, I don't know. Seemed right. weird. Sound like a weird way to say it. Right. I, I would have said he had left a note where he had circled the letters for or something rather than just he'd written it because he didn't write it. He just right. picked it out. Anyway, right. I think it's a distinction. It's not a distinction without a difference. Um, the spacesuit wasn't an intentional 2001 nod. We've said we talked about when we talked about War Without End, we talked about this. It was like the only spacesuit they could get. Right. So they kept using 2001 spacesuits because they were available. 
<laughs> Knowing Kubrick, he made like 75 of them and used three, <laughs> and the rest have been in like special effects warehouses in L.A. for the last right. 70 years or whatever. Uh, let's see. Uh, there's a whole physics thing about ramming speed, and honestly, I don't care. I, I, yeah. Like, what did Sheridan mean by ramming speed? I'm going to say go up to the speed that you need to achieve in order to ram. Damn there you go. There you go. Um, the story... Oh, somebody mentioned that the, st- the story structure that it started with the Minbari fleet coming to Earth to destroy it, and it yeah. at this point ends with a, with a Minbari coming to Earth to save it. Yep. And JMS says, nice little touch. Uh, no, he says, what goes around comes around. Yeah. Um, how did the Apollo monitor Sheridan's situation if communications were being jammed? Again, it's a location thing. Yeah. Apparently. Um, I also assumed that was why. Um, now nah, I may be remembering incorrectly. I'll, I'll, I'll save that. I'll put that away. I, I, was, I was going somewhere, but I don't like it. Um, left cord is weird. What did you make? I want to talk to you about this for a second. What did you make of his attitude and approach to his job? Because, like, when we first see him, he's like, I don't care if Sheridan's right or wrong. You don't do this. The boss says to go kill him. We're going to go kill him. The end, period, done. And then, like, you know, 35 minutes later, he's like, hey, well, the boss is dead, so I'm on Sheridan's side now. That's, it just struck me that he kind of blew with the wind a little much for somebody who's supposed to present himself as so resolute and by the book and everything. What did you make? Well, it, when he was first saying that, he was, you know, his whole thing was, it, you got to do what you're told, right or wrong, because that's our job. Yeah. Well, he didn't show up until after, um, what's her name, the senator said that they went to arrest the president. So at that point, Clark's orders no longer stood because he was no longer the president. Yeah. So he could say, once Clark was gone and the senator said, you know, we were going to arrest him, the senator was now in charge and she was calling for an end to hostility. So I, I, he could totally, you know... I can totally see his point of view. That I don't think that was a, a, a inconsistency in his character or anything. I think he was doing. I think he was doing exactly what what he thought you know he should have been doing as far as his his duty. I can see what you're saying. It still struck me as kind of blowing in the wind a little bit. But yeah, I mean you're right. He has that, justification every step. That's true. Right, and I'm sure that that played a little bit. I mean he he knew who was winning, so he wanted to come help out. So, yeah, yeah. That I'm sure he was looking out for his own rear end at one at, well, at that point. JMS says Leftcourt does not think his job is to set policy or, or overthrow presidents. The military executes orders that emanate from the head of the government through the chain yeah. of command. Once that chain of command was changed, the orders were no longer valid. I would argue the orders were never valid. You shouldn't listen to him for the first place, but that's just me. Here I am out here in no man's land saying don't let the little child die in season one. So I, you know, where I'm standing on all these stupid things. Right. Um. Why wasn't Clark allowed to present his point of view even at the end? And JMS says he tried to present Clark's point of view through other characters, um, through things like ISN and through things like the Night Watch, the Mini Packs, Ministry of Peace, and, and others. If I think if I had him just saying it out loud, and I mean his worldview, right, his, his point of view, it would diminish right. him much the way the repeated exposure of the shadow vessels gradually removed their mystery and menace. Less is more. I agree. You want Clark to seem like the shark from Jaws right. or the alien and not 
like, oh, here's that bumbling tubby president again. Wah, 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 exactly. You yeah. know? And he, there was a danger of him doing that because we we saw little bits and pieces of him over the last couple of seasons, and he was awfully in danger of becoming a comedic figure if he wasn't careful. Right. Right. Yeah. That. Yeah. That would have definitely reduced the menace if, yeah. if we heard him talking and giving, you know, Nixon-like speeches. I'm not a crook. <laughs> And stuff like that. That w- that would have definitely reduced the impact of of his evilness. Well, I d- I didn't kill Santiago. I uh, <laughs> I he 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 wandered in front of that ship and and it blew up all on its own. I I was <laughs> I clearly had uh what, what was it what was it he had left left because of he had a ear infection. He had a cold. Or, had a, yeah, he brother. had a cold. Yeah, he had a cold. All right, space is very cold. <laughs> um. The last one. Okay. About the return of the old ISN anchor. Did you notice that the that the evil ISN anchor lady was gone and the old ISN anchor lady is back? She wasn't evil. She was just pragmatic. <laughs> she was saving her butt. She was yeah. just a little too cheerful about repeating his propaganda. That was my thing. Right. She's like, here's a here's that here's the evil to me. Okay. ISN anchor. She's like, President Clark today <gasps> decreed that he's going to shoot all of you people that don't say he's great, and it'll be wonderful. We all can't wait for that. You know, that was her, basically. And they're like, come on. Um, well, here's what JMS said. I've been thinking about the rapidity of her return to ISN. I agree that there wasn't time. Oh, I think this is the, the question. I agree that there wasn't time to break her out of prison and get her old dressing room back for the morning news. And JMS says, When the Soviet Union fell, the prison doors were thrown open. A number of reporters who had fallen out of favor with the party and were sitting in cells walked out, went across the street, and went on the air within a matter of hours. Humans are resilient and determined sorts. Yeah, especially journalists. Yeah, they have to be. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, that was JMS Speaks and all the notes and everything. There were quite a few of those this week. Yeah. Uh, let's get to the categories. Um, what was your high point of this episode? And man, where to begin? Yeah, the, yeah. I mean, the whole sh- the whole episode was high point. I actually had two. Okay. Um, Sheridan's speech, especially the part part when he says, "We have come home." Oh, that's so good. That that whole speech was so good was and so spot on. And then when he said, "We have come home," that that just nailed it for me. Bingo! Yeah. And then I have to admit, <laughs> excuse me. I jumped up and cheered the first time that I was watching this episode when the Apollo came out of nowhere. Oh yeah, and blew up that that uh, um, defense unit right at the last—I mean, literally the last second—to save Sheridan's life. Because up until that point, you know, we didn't—we we weren't sure if there was going to be a season five. I didn't know if Sheridan was going to die at that, that could, point or not. That could have I mean, been that, it. It was perfectly legitimate. I mean, if this was going to be the the series finale, you know how series finales go. People die, you know, yeah. to have big impacts and stuff like that. So it, that when that flew out of nowhere and saved the day, I, I, I had to, I had to jump up and, and give a cheer for that. And even I, I controlled myself this time because I was watching with my wife and I didn't do that, but I still wanted to. It was, <laughs> yeah. it was really cool. I, I thought that was a neat scene. Um, I remember <coughs> our, our, our occasional guest on here Bobby Polite saying one time that he loved when the Agamemnon came out the other side of that explosion intact. Yeah. Yeah. And so I cool. put that down for mine. I thought that was good. But I want yeah. to mention something there um um 
Oh, crap. You said something else in there that about the... Uh, what was the other one you said besides the, uh, the, the, the ship showing up with the Agamemnon? The speech. The speech that Sheridan gave yeah. over... The, oh, the oh. That, that, uh, this is what I was going to say is when Sheridan gives the order for ramming speed, he knows he's about to die. Yeah. He 100% knows he's about to die. And Box Lightner just absolutely brought it in that scene because you Ollie. see in his face, in his expression and everything, without words, you yeah. see a man who moments earlier thought he was going to come and liberate Earth. And, you know, we know Sheridan. He wasn't in it to be a hero or to be... He, he wasn't in it to become president himself or anything necessarily. That wasn't his plan. And yet... I think he thought he would at least live to celebrate. And you right. see a guy kind of he, he it, I look at I look at Sheridan in that moment when he tells him ramming speed we're going to do it. And he took a second to think about it before he said it. Yeah. And I see a guy that basically says, "Well, I'm getting the job done and I may not it's kind of like Martin Luther King, you know, I may not be there to celebrate with you, but we're going to get there." And yep. he gave that order, it was him saying, "I'm not going to get there." But we're gonna get it there. You know what I mean? Yep. We're gonna we're gonna make it happen, even if I'm not there to be part of it, because we have to do this. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Boxleitner's performance this entire episode was spectacular. That mm -hmm. scene when he was agonizing over whether or not to to go after Marcus, just the look on his face. I mean, you could just see how 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 difficult of a decision it was, and that was all oh, yeah. Boxleitner. I think. Yeah. Oh, I think he did a fantastic job. He did a lot of acting in this episode just with his expressions, without yep. saying anything. Yep. Which is very impressive. I also like that he's already started growing the beard. Yeah, he's got the stubble from when he the, was in jail. The season five beard is in effect. Spoiler! Um, what was your low point? Oh, man, there's a few low points here, too, depending on how you look no, at it. The, the biggest low point for me was uh, right at the very end when Marcus told Ivanova, I love you. Yep. You know, that, that was, that the, was one, the one thing that he always wanted to say to her. And when he finally said it to her, she was unconscious and he wouldn't get a chance to say it again because he was giving his life for her. So that's it. That, yeah, was, that, was, that was rough, man. And I'm going with that kind of low point because we did not see the Babylon 5 non-aligned world's council chamber right. this episode. <laughs> so I can't, can't go with our old default low point, you know. <laughs> um, oh, gosh. What? Here's the first, this may be the first category that I refuse to answer all since we've been doing this show. I refuse to answer this. Wait, what was the, the most, most Babylon, Babylon. Babylon 5 scene? Yeah. For me, it was when Sheridan was calling to Delenn and said, we need you. And Delenn responded, we are there. <sighs> Dang it. Then, You're right. You're right. Because, Ugh. because it was, it, and I think it was the same shot from from season one when all the the um, Minbari ships come out, you know, and they're surrounded mm -hmm. by their, their fighters and stuff. Yeah. It was just a replay of that same scene, only instead of coming to destroy Earth, they're coming to save Earth. And I thought, man, talk about coming full circle. No kidding. And, and just, you know, that was their, their, their relationship all tied up in there. You know, mm -hmm. Delenn will always be there to back John, and it was a callback to when she saved his butt, you know, at, at the in the beginning or at the end of season, what was the end of season two or sometime in season two when when uh earth force was coming for babylon five i think that was in season three anyway you know what i'm talking about right when she showed up with the the minbari cruisers when oh that's severed earth dreams earth. right middle of season severed three dreams right yeah season three yeah sorry i blanked so, out there I mean, for a second yeah yeah no that's fine it, it just it just 
wrapped up so much of Babylon 5 into that one scene. I thought it was perfect. And it was just those two lines, too. It was yeah, so, no, so you nailed cool. it. It, it, it. You found the pinnacle of cool in a whole episode of cool, and that's very good. That's what I. That's what had eluded me. So, yeah, good job. Favorite character moment? Favorite character moment for me was uh, uh, Sheridan saying, give me ramming speed. Because for all the reasons you, you said just a minute ago, he was making that decision to, to save, you know, to, to save all those people on Earth, you know, by giving up his life. He knew he wasn't going to make it through to the end, but he knew what he was doing would bring everybody else through to the end. So And, and think about that. He thought Susan was dead. And if he yep. was dead, who would that leave to sort of sweep up the remains and put everything back together? I mean, yeah, obviously it was... Gone. Yeah, Marcus is well, but they didn't know that. But he's not really a political figure. He wouldn't have. Well, he was gone from the battle, though. Yeah, but. But I mean, who would have been left to be kind of in charge of the? uh, Right. Of the fleet of the of the of the army of light. I mean, it couldn't be Delenn. She's not a. It needs to be a human. Right. I mean, Franklin, in a lot of ways, qualifies. But he's a doctor, not a political figure. Garibaldi's problematic at best. Um, You know, you you know who that leaves. Zach? No, no. You know the answer to this already. Oh, crap. <laughs> He's still fighting the other army, though. He's still fighting the army of darkness or whatever. A, a tomb bay is going to have to come through oh. and, and take control here. But, you know, I thought it was really cool that at one point, Franklin had command, was sitting in the command chair yeah. of a White Star. That's I thought cool. that was super cool. Um, I do want to know who the third who's in third place. I mean, I do think that Yvonne, I mean, I think in general purpose uh, of it, Delenn is there with yeah. Ivanova and Sheridan, obviously. Right. Because Delenn has taken control of Babylon five at one point when, when Sheridan well, she, the army of light is, she has like, she has joint control of the Rangers, for example. Right. Exactly. But who would be in charge dealing with earth? Cause it wouldn't be, it had to be a human. So, I mean, if it's not Marcus, if it's not Garibaldi, if it's not Major Atumbe, if it's not right. Franklin, it might be Franklin, honestly. I mean, it's not Zach. Everybody else is no. problematic. It's not Lita. Definitely not. I mean, Corwin? <laughs> I, I mean, seriously, I, I don't know. I don't know. They That's left Corwin point. in charge of the station? Yeah, supposedly. Yeah, I don't so, know, well, right. That's their cover for Atumbe. Right. <laughs> that, is, that is a good question. I don't, know, I don't know who would have taken over at that point. They'd maybe, lost both maybe, of them. Maybe the the captain of the uh, Agamemnon. Now he'd have been dead too. This is true. Yeah, Agamemnon's gone in this scenario. Right, that's a good point. Um, Major, maybe Left Court. Yeah, Left Court would be the only one left. <laughs> he was, yeah, and he wasn't even part of the right? part of the conspiracy. That's just tough. That's a tough question. I'm, I'm curious what the curious what the patrons and listeners say about this. Leave us leave us a note there on the Patreon. Um, right. Who do you think would have led the Army of Light toward Earth? Minus Sheridan and Ivanova, if they'd both died. Of course, we know that neither one of them does, but for a second there, it looks like they both died. Um, yeah, my favorite character moment was just before that, Sheridan speaking over the audio link to Earth, explaining why they have come home, and we, we talked about yeah. that already. Yeah. All right, this is the, this is the first time I've ever had um, an episode where I couldn't answer two questions, but you found the answer to the last one I couldn't answer. What was your funniest moment? <laughs> when uh, they were given the coordinates for the White Star to jump into the Martian atmosphere, and Franklin looks over at, at Garibaldi and says, 
you you got it right, didn't you? You gave him the because the, you know you have a problem with that, and and uh, Garibaldi looks back and he says, I, I think I got it right, and then they started arguing back and forth. <laughs> whether or not the thing was going to blow up when it came into the atmosphere. So when it did, they all jumped in the head because they didn't know if Garibaldi did it right or not. I thought that was funny. I totally forgot that part. So I put there was nothing funny this episode, but that was true. <laughs> this did not have a lot of funny moments in it, but that's been no, true I, of a lot of... That was the only one that, yeah. that, I, that I thought of, yeah. This is, that's been true of a lot of season four. Is as good right. as it's been, it hasn't had time to stop and be funny mostly because it's had to get the business done. Right. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Who won this episode? Well, I think it's pretty obvious, but let's spell it out. I'm going to say Earth won this one, and the, yeah. the Army of Light won this one. Yeah. Yeah, I said Sheridan, Earth, the anti-Clark forces, which is what we've been talking about. And then I also had this note, Andy. I, I made this note up as I was finishing watching the show. I said, the politicians back on Earth who knew Clark was a terrible, terrible person all along but also realized he probably enjoyed a lot of popular support from a portion of the public that he had bamboozled and propagandized, uh, were so afraid to go against him because it would be the end of their political careers, if not their lives, if they stood up to him and actually pointed out that he was wrong about stuff. And I'm just glad that nothing like that could ever happen in real life. Right. Thank goodness this is pure fiction. This is science fiction. This here, this is science fiction fiction television and nothing like that could ever happen in real life right not thank at all. goodness uh who <laughs> lost who lost this episode uh clark obviously lost the episode a little bit and, yeah did marcus lose no okay Cause did, he, i think it's won. a it's a matter of how you interpret things right and right marcus is a is a pure romantic i mean just unquestionably and he went out the most romantic way possible for him this was Sure, he doesn't, you know, get the get the ride off in the sunset with a girl, but he did the next best thing. And again, he probably looks back at season five and says it all worked out for the best. <laughs> but we'll see. That's going to be interesting, right? We're only weeks away from season five now, so we'll we'll see. Right. We'll talk. Right. Oh, here it is. Oh man, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited. The P five rating for our podcast. This is where Andy and I give a rating between zero and five. And as I always say, if I'd realized we were going to make the P5 thing a thing, we'd have made ours 10 also. But too late now. We've got a whole four and a half seasons behind us. So what is your rating on a scale of zero to five of Endgame? You know, I I thought about dithering over this one for like 30 seconds and then just said, screw it, it's a 5.0. This was just a, a fantastic fantastic episode i loved it yes <laughs> this was a five i thought about giving it 4.5 a couple of times just because yeah. it doesn't quite hit as hard as Zahadoom or uh chrysalis maybe a little bit it was really more in line with chrysalis right uh, I, or or severed dreams but but it's so my, important right it is and and, and the end is so cool, and they do the performances on everybody's part were yeah. just spectacular. So it's it's so important, and they didn't do anything actively bad. It, right. In other words, there might have been I might I might quibble with it that I wish it could have been a little better in a couple of ways, and that's fine. Right. But I can't say anything, and it was bad. I, I can't deduct anything. Right. It was it was 
it was enjoyable. I, so I in, loved watching it again. So in other words, it's not quite severed dreams, but it, right. but but there's a little there's a little zone of 5.0. It is Right. 5.0 is not a point, it's a zone. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> exactly. So you could be a 5 and just be a little bit below another 5 on the dartboard. Right. right. All right. I'm glad we I'm glad we see eye to eye on that. This was a good episode. Five five point Yes, absolutely. Um, and it wrapped up so much. I mean, so much. Like you alluded to earlier, you know, four seasons worth of of stuff was wrapped up here. I mean, it was this was an even bigger and longer running story arc than the Shadow War was. It's. I mean, we talked about how this had to come second, right? The Shadow War had to be resolved first because it's like the old you know commercials this time it's personal right the shadow war was the only thing that was personal about the shadow war was anna right exactly and a little bit for delin maybe but and and kef <laughs> never forget <laughs> never forget warren keffer never forget folks um all right we got a couple things left to do uh, we'll we'll talk about we got the patron comments coming up in just a second. We got spoiler space, although I think we kind of <laughs> put spoiler space in the middle of regular space this time. Whoops, right. sorry. I'm too tired from Dragon Con and everything to go back and edit that out. It's just going to go out that way, and so I I hope we don't ruin anything by telling people that we don't love season five as much as season four. But I mean, come on, it's season four. Uh, we got to thank the patrons, though, before we do anything else, Andy. That's just that's yes. what we got to do here. Uh, these are the fine folks that keep the show going. If you want to join their ranks, you can leave comments and questions that we read on the air. Uh, and generally, just keep the lights on here in the in the broom closet underneath Earth Dome in the basement where we broadcast from. Go to go to <laughs> www.b5review.com, b5review.com, or just go to the Babylon 5 Review uh, at, at Pod... Uh, what is it? Dot podbean.com. P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Podbean.com. Babylon 5 Review. Let me make sure that's... Yeah, Babylon5Review.podbean.com. That's where the episodes live. Go there. Click on the link to become a patron. We appreciate it very much. These are the folks that do that, and what would we do without them? And you can also put whatever you like in the name, and I'll read that. So we have to thank Allison Rich. Allison's awesome. Allison's like our, our patron saint at this point, you know? Right. And... We should know that that's not what Allison put in her name. That's no. That's our true. That's our true feelings. That's an observation. Awesome. Yeah, right. Uh, but there's so many others that are right up there too. Leah G, Rich Hammett, yep. Ben. I'm all caught up. Rose. Oh, he's shortened it a little bit. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> Debbie, no. Debbie, no spoilers. Norris. There's Dragon Condolin. I still don't know if it was the same Dragon Condolin. I just, I just <laughs> saw. Um, Emmanuel Seaman, Jalja, Mondo Six, Michael O'Connor, Middle-Aged Geek Tim, Pete, happy that Van and his daughter enjoyed Dragon Con Furman. Well, thank you, Pete. That's so nice. That is awesome. I really appreciate that, Pete. We did. My daughter and I had a great time. Mira, Mira's 15, and she's, she was had a really good time. Uh, she said she may not be able to go next year because she's she's convinced 11th grade is going to be really hard, and she doesn't want to miss those days of school. So if that's the case, I'm going to be very lonely. Uh, if Andy exactly. shows up, I'll be like handing Andy $20 bills for the food court <laughs> and to buy little jewelry and stuff. And Andy's going to be like, I'm not Mira. And I'll be like, oh, crap. Sorry, Andy. And then I'll hand him another $20 bill. And then like, go get some chicken fingers now, Andy. I mean, Andy, Mira, wherever you are. 
<laughs> That's fine. I'll, I'll play along, Van. God, I I can't think how many bills I peeled off of my book making money. It's like somebody buy a book and I just turn around and hand that money to Mira to go buy chicken fingers or something. It was crazy. Uh, Steve Palmer, Stu Parker, The Geek Boy, Una Vez, and Una Luna Azul. I can say that better when I'm really hoarse and don't have a voice. Heather and Yancey Steingrabber. I believe I saw them. I want to say that, yes, I believe that I saw Heather and Yancey Steingrabber. They came up and talked to us. Yeah, they did. Right. I, why am I thinking, did I? I think I did. Of course I did. Yeah, they came up and talked uh, Talked to me. It was awesome. Good to see them. Ice Cream Clown with Bubba Fethead, Michael Halbrook, and the, this Barbie is the right hand of vengeance. There you go. All right. Um, we had a few, notif- we had a few uh, messages that came in since the last episode talking about Between the Darkness and the Light. Let me just kind of hit those highlights here. Uh, we had quite a few. Let's see. Um, let's see. Um, Marcus finds out. Oh, this is Jalza says, Marcus finds out about, quote, the thing, unquote, following up on a comment made by Lanier next episode. What do you mean nothing usable? I, I'm not quite sure what that's in reference to, but I know what in the show it's in reference to. Right. Well, last last episode, last podcast, you and I were talking about how did Marcus find out about that, and we were trying to figure oh. out how exactly he found out about it. So, yeah, he was and just answering our confusion because our our oldness, yeah. we had there forgotten it is. what happened in this episode. <laughs> exactly. Middle-aged Geek Tim says, if Franklin were to line people up to use the alien healing device and the other races found out, there would be a major conflict with everyone wanting to, one, everyone wanting to use its power for their own ends. And I guess kind of like what happened with, uh, with the Death Walker. Right. Immortality. Yep. He says, I'm surprised it was still on the station at all and not boxed up in some government warehouse with their holy relics, I guess, like the uh, <laughs> ten, like the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. Also, please do not record an episode in the council chambers. It's so empty, the echo would be horrible. <laughs> Good point, Tim. Allison says, this is another reason why this show is not Star Trek. Number one is a formidable resistance leader, and the fact that she can't or won't give more than one person to lead them into the tunnels is very realistic. Yeah. The whole B5 universe resolves, revolves around self-interest, enlightened or otherwise. Amen to that, as, as he's made yeah. explicitly clear. I love Lita's grabbing of the big gun and firing it into the air to get people's attention. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, she says, the fact that some of the defectors are playing both sides against the middle is a very real part of war. Amen. This should give anyone pull it, putting absolute trust in the Agamemnon some serious cause for thought. Hey, I've said that myself. Why are we tw- right. tr- trusting the Agamemnon? Um, Ivanova is taking a big risk telling the Agamemnon uh, as, uh, as Clark of Clark's plans. I think that's what she said there. Yeah. Uh, she says, there are some really funny lines in this one. Garibaldi's, I need more fiber in my diet. <laughs> I forgot about that one. I've missed that one. Uh, the Cell Guards TV is a cultural wasteland. We did talk about that. Stevens, why yep. can't we go anywhere nice? That's pretty good. While it's nice that Susan drops her guard a bit around Marcus after she tells him she knows what he said in Mimbari, it's still not any acknowledgement of any feeling on her part. Thank you is just that. Thank you. Okay, that's true. It could very well be. Putting all that ammo into that one prison guard is just what's needed to get Sheridan out of his fogginess. (laughs) He did kind of load that guy up, didn't he? Yes, he did. He wasn't kidding around. No. Susan's dying scene is utterly heartbreaking. Those tears everyone is shedding are completely real. Yeah. I'm sure that, yeah, I'm sure they were. And and I think that's before she had decided to leave the show. And that's a whole other controversial thing. We'll have to talk about that in our season four wrap up, basically, because there's a whole thing there. Yes. 
Um, I'd give this episode a five, but I know what's coming up next episode, so I give it a 4.5. Well, you, you called that one, Allison. All right, Ben says, I agree with middle-aged geek Tim. Remember how everyone was desperately trying to get their hands on Jadur? Yeah, there it is, the Jadur, the anti-aging serum. The Narns would be kidnapping Centauri and and hooking them up. (laughs) I can just see Jakar saying, hook some some Centauri into this machine. It'll be good for them. Uh, The Hayek might be able to spoiler space. Sadly, I think we're the only species dumb enough to store it alongside the Ark of the Covenant instead of putting it to good use. Another Ark of the Covenant reference. Um, uh, Yeah, okay, it's just spoiler space, but I think we've moved past that. I'll I'll self-edit here. The ombudsman said the alien healing device was to be handed over to station personnel so it could be studied, but Franklin just kept it in a cardboard box next to his old stem injector and a <laughs> gloppet egg. Oh, the callback to the gloppet egg. I'm giving Ben massive geek cred for the callback to the gloppet egg. That, that was a good one. That was a good That's one. That's all the way back to my favorite Surprise. episode. Surprised he didn't keep it in his in his office or in his in his um his uh bachelor pad, pad. Or his quarters yeah his bachelor, his bachelor pad, pad. So, you know, if there was ever any you know half dead woman laying around he says hey I can take you back and get you hooked up to the machine hooked up to the machine yeah well, that just raises all too many questions uh, let's see if it was if I was Franklin I give it to Garibaldi I know that some people might cringe at the idea of Edgar's Industries getting it but a pharmaceutical megacorp would have the resources to study and possibly reverse engineer it. And I trust Garibaldi more than whoever Eggers was talking about in his monologue. Fair enough. Yeah. All right, we've got a couple more. Pete says, all three of the rescue party were carrying some kind of backpack. I'm guessing the uniforms they used to get in the prison were in them. My big issue in this episode was when Garibaldi, Eggers, and Wade were all sitting around talking about how the Shadows knew that if they killed Sheridan, there would be someone to take his place. Besides the fact that Garibaldi would never be the one to step up and lead the whole thing, even if all three of the others went down, we just talked about that, it was strange yep. that Eggers was so knowledgeable of the Shadow's plans, complete with video memory footage of the meeting between Justin, Sheridan, and Morden on Zaha Doom that he and none left alive outside of Sheridan were even at. Did he have footage of the meeting at Zaha Doom? I didn't... I don't, I don't remember I don't, that. I'm not I'm clocking to, that. Yeah, that that was bef- I watched that before yesterday, which means that it's totally yeah. out of my brain. So there could be, I guess. I might have to go back and watch it though. Pete, I'm not saying you're wrong at all. I'm just saying that is not ringing a bell for me. It may just be that Andy and I are vapor locking here, but yeah, give us a little hint or something. But yeah, I do like that. Um, oh, Michael Halbrook, because we were just talking about how long it's taken us to cover season four, and I talk about that Dragon Con. Michael Halbrook says, according to my podcast app, you did 401 on November 21st. So we are like 10 months, I'm assuming, of 22. Okay, let's hope so. (laughs) Yeah, I hope so too. So we're like 10 months into season four now. That's great, man. We are seriously milking this. (laughs) It's not even intentional. We must not be in very big hurry to get to Stargate Universe or uh, Expanse right. or whatever we're going to do next. We just want to drag us out. I, I think for season five, we need to do like five episodes per episode. I, I, I'm game. <laughs> let's see. What, I think we're going to stick to one, but let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, 
the last one is Ben says when Van, when Van said that he and Andy are planning to do some episodes on non B five things before they start season five, I just figured that they were deliberately trying to mimic the erratic season four airing schedule. I'll take it. There you go. I like I'll take that. that. That's a good excuse. It has I'll nothing to do with the fact that we really are not looking forward to reviewing season five. Yeah. Yeah, well, we do have several things coming up, though, right? We're going to do our season okay. four in retrospect. We'll try to get Bobby and and, and whoever else on. Um, yep. We've got um, where we're going to do. Uh, we were going to do the first three episodes of Stargate Universe. We're going to yep. do. Uh, in, uh, we're going to do um, in the beginning in third space. So it'll be a little while before we start season five. Yes, but not artificially long. These are things we've been planning to do all along. So. Right, absolutely. Yeah. And the the season wrap up we do, you know, at the end of every season. So. Yeah. And uh, we've only got two more episodes to go now. So we're we're getting yeah. there. We're getting there. Yep. Oh, oh, and then there's that one episode you were talking about doing. I don't know if we've publicly announced it yet. I don't think we have. Okay. All right. I did mention it to somebody at DragonCon though, and they were like, did "Oh, oh, interesting." Yeah. I said, "Andy wants to do this." And I said, "I'm I'm game." And they're like, "Oh, interesting." So, we'll see. We're when we're going to do we what Whatever you want to do, we'll do. I'm just I'm I'm interested yeah. to see how that goes. I think we should hammer out a little bit more of the details, and then we can we can uh, reveal it to to the, the audience. All right, Andy. I don't have any spoilers. I've I've already given them away <laughs> accidentally. I, there's there's not a whole lot left to spoil. I mean, no. this this is the, <laughs> the end of the 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 uh, whole Earth Babylon yeah. Five conflict. So there there's not much. I mean, we only got two more episodes of of real arc related stuff after that it's you know kind of made up stuff and and my final thought is and it gets weird here too because obviously 21 is going to be sort of denouement kind of epilogue material and then you get to the last episode of season four and that's problematic because there's many different ways of looking at that there's more than one episode that you can say was 422 really right there's at least two maybe three three depending on how you count it right and that doesn't even count in the beginning which kind of is like the, the prequel that's jammed on there yeah so it gets really complicated here but that's okay next episode we've got 421 rising star and andy this is oddly enough one of my favorite episodes of the entire series really i love it all right i that's, love it that's interesting so we're going to go into this one and see if we can figure out why i love it so much I, I, mean, I mean, I certainly didn't dislike it at all, but that's I, cool. I mean, I'm going to be thinking about it, too, because all I know is I love it. But when I think about the specific things that happen, I'm kind of like, yeah, you know, it's OK. But yet right. I've always thought of it as one of my favorites. So, I, you know, I look forward to going into this like you were looking forward to going into the uh, intersections in real time. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So are we done? I believe we are. I think that. Much like Clark, we've done all the damage we can do here. It's time to exit the stage. <laughs> all at right. Until next time. <laughs> and we're not going to take the, the way out that he did. We'll we'll, well, le- we'll avoid that at least. Right. I, I think if we take up too much more of, of, of my time, that my wife will take care of that for us. <laughs> yeah, I think so. This has been a longer episode than I expected, but we had a lot to cover. All right. So the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. We'll get on out of here for another episode. Tune in in two weeks for Rising Star and find out why I like that episode so much. I will see you then, Andy. All right. Take care, Van.
This has been a White Rocket Entertainment Production.